today's episode of the TundraCast. And today I am joined by Shay and Jake, and we're going to have a very special guest, Arda Okal. Uh, he is a host on ESPN, and he was formerly a host of a podcast called Right After Wrestling, later called The Aftermath on The Score. I guess the first thing I I'd like to ask as um it pertains to the you know obviously the beginning of your career with the with the score when it comes to wrestling. So the first question I would ask is uh what was it like to be able to host your own show on the score which was uh right after wrestling which later became Aftermath. It was great. Um it was definitely my biggest break up until that point. Uh, when I got to the score, I actually started with their serious radio station that they used to have. It was called Hardcore Sports Radio, and I started as a volunteer. Uh, so I just got my foot in the door. And if I didn't do that, then I would have never gotten the email from the vice president of programming at the time who sent a company-wide email asking for show ideas. And that's honestly how I basically filled out the form because... The score in Canada, for those curious, um, it was very much like the score was very much like the little engine that could in terms of national sports channels. You had TSN and Sportsnet, who were the big two in terms of national sports in Canada. And the score was like very creative, full of up and coming talent that you see all over the place now. It was a really good roster of talent and people behind the scenes that have gone on to, to great things in the industry. And so I would have never gotten that email if I wasn't there. And at that time, the biggest property basically that the score had was WWE. And I grew up a pro wrestling fan. Those are my two big loves, really hockey and pro wrestling growing up. I'm a big sports fan, obviously, but like, those were the two uh, uh, things that I cared about, that and co combat sports, hockey and combat sports, basically. But when I got that email, I thought, you know, we have post-game shows and pre-game shows for sports. Why not for WWE? Because I figured, listen, if, if a wrestling fan is watching Raw and SmackDown, chances are they're going to stick around for at least another 5-10 minutes in order to hear what people have to say about the show they just watched or whatever the big stories of the day are in pro wrestling. Yeah. So I pitched the show. So I said, why don't we make a pro wrestling post-game show and bring in some talents that know wrestling in the building and create a show out of it? And that pitch was in 2009, and it became initially right after wrestling, and a couple of years later became Aftermath. And it had, I don't know, what, how long did it last on the air? I don't know, about 10 years, which is amazing for Canadian television. That's incredible. So I'm very proud of it. Uh, it, it was my baby. I pitched it. I helped create it. I, you know, I'm very proud of it. And also it, it gave me my first big break on national television in Canada. So I'm forever indebted to it. And those that allowed me to create the show and make it what it was and be a part of it and be on the air for it as well. So yeah, I owe a lot to that show. Yeah. that Yeah. You always like to see, um, you always like to be able to go into something knowing that you have a big passion for it and be yeah. able to invest a lot of your time in it and be able to make it your own. As you said, it was your baby. So you were able to keep it your own for, you know, how, for how long it was there. Um, my next question is you interviewed a lot of big WWE 
wrestlers such as like Chris Jericho, The Iron Sheik, Bret Hart, Gail Kim, Drew McIntyre. Uh, I think you interviewed Sheamus too. Um, yeah, he was my very first interview, and I was very nervous because I I was so back then I was still so new and so green, I guess to that world. Like I had a lot of experience at the cable television level, like the local level, but I didn't have a lot of experience at the national level. And so I was definitely nervous. Seamus was my very first interview and he was like half in character, I guess, during the interview or pretty much all in character, honestly. It was a really rough interview for me. Like I was in shambles afterwards. I thought that that was it. I'd never get another chance. Um, I'm ruined. Like it was bad. And uh, luckily, I luckily I got another opportunity after that. And the next um, few interviews uh, were a lot smoother. But uh, yeah, that first one with Sheamus was rough. I actually joked about it with him when I got to WWE finally. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I was just working. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. I, th- I really thought I like uh, irritated him or something. And I just didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, al- almost all wrestling interviews, they, they stay in kayfabe. Uh... Which leads me to my next question. Who was your favorite interview to... Who was, like, your favorite wrestler to interview? So I have a couple. Uh, I um, Obviously, I spent a lot of time with Mean Gene Okerlund. Uh, he was actually a mentor to me. So, like, we started off doing a bunch of interviews. But then it became... Um, um, uh, obviously, honestly, he became my friend. Like, we would see each other often in Stanford. He was filming Vintage Collection. And I was there, obviously, working for WWE. So we'd... Uh, hang out a lot. And I just like pick his brain on things and hear his stories. And, you know, it was always fantastic to hang out with Gene. So he's, he's one of them for sure. Um, Chris Jericho, you mentioned he's always a great interview. He's very entertaining. <laughs> I've been interviewing, I, I probably interviewed him, I don't know, a hundred times. There's a couple people that I've interviewed multiple times. I would say Chris Jericho, Edge, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper. Off the top of my head, I think I've interviewed at least a dozen times each. And they always bring something different every time I interview them. And, and, and in many, all of them, they have, they've had like such long careers that there's a lot of fun. Like I remember with Bret Hart once, we just focused on 1992. I thought that was a really fun interview because that was the time frame where I was like at the height of my fandom. And so I was able to ask questions like, I, I thought one cool thing that he told me there was, so 1992, the SummerSlam, and this was very rare, it still is, I guess, for the time, like SummerSlam happened in England at Wembley Stadium, and there was like 80,000 people there. And that was unique because you never really saw pay-per-views happen outside of North America. It was rare enough that you would see a pay-per-view in Canada, let alone in America, right? Like when WrestleMania six went to the Sky Dome, it was a huge deal, especially for Canadians, because you rarely saw big events happen outside of, out of, out of the United States. So this was a big deal. But in interviewing Brett for that particular interview that we did many, many years ago, he told me that the initial idea was actually that SummerSlam was going to happen in Washington, D.C. in 1992, and it was going to be him against Shawn Michaels in a ladder match. Now, this makes a lot of sense because at the time, I would also collect a lot of tapes and things like that. And I remember on these old Coliseum video VHS tapes, that's how far back we're going here, there were these house show matches 
with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels where they were having ladder matches in 1992. This was two years before Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon had their very famous WrestleMania 10 ladder match. And then, of course, the TLC matches, and it, it's become commonplace now. But it definitely wasn't then, especially in WWE or WWF at the time. So the way he explained it was, I like Shawn Michaels. Like they were in, they had a great relationship at the time because they saw each other as like two wrestlers that can have a great match with each other. And Bret Hart said, I have an idea for a match. He went to Vince and he pitched the idea of the ladder match that he used in his father's territory, Stampede Wrestling, a lot. And Vince said, Why don't you put a match together? Go to a house show, put this match together. So Bret said, Okay. He approached Shawn Michaels. Can we have this match? Shawn was like, Absolutely. Let's do it. So they put together this tester match at a house show. And initially, that was going to be the match at SummerSlam. But once the card got moved to a bigger venue and to Europe, that's where the whole Davy Boy Smith angle came in. This is this is Brett's story in the interview. Uh, that's where the whole idea came for the Intercontinental title, Bret Hart versus Davy Boy Smith. And then obviously Davy Boy dropped the title well after that on the Saturday night's main event to Shawn Michaels. So initially, I guess it was going to be Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. Uh, but these are the little nuggets that wrestling fans love, right? And th- when you focus on certain time periods, you get those kind of nuggets. And that's what happened with Bret Hart. But to answer your question in full circle, the, the people I mentioned, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, Edge, Chris Jericho, uh, Roddy Piper in particular, near and dear to me. He was like a mentor as well. He would go out of his way to say nice things to me. Like I, I, I've heard from many people, he would go to executives, even Vince, to just sing my praises before I got to WWE. I owe a lot to him. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's always it's always cool being able to you know, obviously, as a wrestling fan, it's cool to hear like that bit of knowledge because I never knew that, uh, because it always seemed like the first ladder match being around that time with Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. I never knew that it was originally supposed to happen way before, at SummerSlam. Um, my next question is, do you still keep in touch with any of your interviewees or like co-hosts such as uh the former referee jim coderis and then Rene paquette do you still keep in touch with any of them yeah absolutely i mean i get text messages around the holidays especially with um you know renee and and we talk on twitter all the time as well jimmy's one of my closest friends i talk to him all the time and a fair bit like i'll, I'll text with edge here and there uh, obviously, he's he's crushing it right now back in uh, wrestling, and he had a fantastic acting career as well. Um, and here and there, like there are a few wrestlers, especially when I worked at WWE, that we became friends and we still talk. But really, in terms of me being in the wrestling bubble, like that chapter is definitely closed. As soon as I left WWE in 2016, and and I want to be very clear, there is absolutely zero bitterness whatsoever. I know that there's a lot of people. Um, or or you, you've heard the stories before of people leaving WWE and they, there's a little bit of bitterness there or they didn't feel like they got what they wanted or whatever the case may be. And that's completely understandable. But for me personally, like my personal story, it was just the end of the chapter. And by then I was a little burnt out from wrestling and I, I was missing sports and missing hockey, to be honest with you. And after WWE, the MSG Network's opportunity came up and it couldn't have happened at a better time. Uh, to basically launch the next phase of my career. But I, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, I'm very happy that I pursued WWE when I did. I'm very happy I made it there. And in some ways, I'm happy it ended the way it did, did because 
maybe I would still be there and maybe there would have still been this desire to do other things that maybe I couldn't have been able to do. And so if you believe in everything happens for a reason, which in many cases I do, then everything happened for a reason. But, you know, to make it to WWE is very, very difficult, especially at that time. There were no collaborations. It wasn't really like a part-time thing. Like it was very difficult. The spots were few and far between. So I'm very proud that I was able to make it there because I probably, when I look at it, like I don't think I'm, I was at like, I, I, I had polished, like I had a lot of reps behind me and I had many years under me, but like the scenario was not ideal for me to be signed by WWE. So the fact that I even got there is just a story of persistence and finding a way to do it and achieving your dreams. Like, that's really what I take away from it. You know, the fact that I even got there was a big, big deal for me personally. So, uh, but I don't regret it whatsoever. Um, I, I have a lot of great memories there. I met a lot of great people there. And I'm, I look back on it fondly. It's just today, I don't watch wrestling anymore. Um, that part of my life is over. Like, I still appreciate it 100%. I still hope for the success of people, especially my friends in wrestling. And I'll watch matches if, you know, friends send them to me. Hey, can you watch my match? Tell me what you think. That kind of thing. I get that all the time from my friends or promos or whatever. But um, these days, what interests me more is, is historical stuff. Like the biggest thing that I'm proud, I know I'm veering a little bit here, but the biggest thing I'm proud of while I was at WWE was similar to creating Aftermath and pitching that. I pitched and created a, a weekly segment on WWE's YouTube. It also went on the WWE Network. It also went on their Twitter as well. Uh, was, it was called This Week in WWE History. And I did it with Corey Graves. It was on every week. And I loved that. I wrote it. I found the ideas. I found the subjects. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun with that segment because it was what I cared about the most. Like I loved digging into wrestling history and I loved – um, different random stories like the, the SummerSlam story that I just told. So I loved that the most of anything I did at WWE. That was a blast. Yeah, I remember I remember watching those when they were first coming out, even though I was starting to kind of get a bit, a bit uh, I guess, disassociated with wrestling because I was getting frustrated with it as a whole. Uh, I remember still watching those every week when they'd come out because I thought they were really interesting. And I was like, well, this thanks. is, yeah, it, it was just really awesome to watch. It's kind of like Dark Side of the Ring now, what Dark Side of the Ring is now. But it was, it was just like wrestling things that any true wrestling fan would really love to watch. Yeah, uh, like a lot of people have nostalgia, right? A lot of people love wrestling history, and that's. I mean, I love it. I, I enjoy it. Like I, I could talk about wrestling history. I mean, I, I'm a big history nerd, so like I could talk hockey history all day, or even sports history, or whatever. But like. Wrestling history in particular is interesting to me and fun to me. I love asking people who were had their heydays in the 80s and 90s, even early 2000s, about their careers and how it went and this match and that match and little things they remember. Like, that's fun. So uh, that, that's what that's what Weekend History w was really. That was the genesis of it, really. And I guess my final question about, I guess, your whole time in the wrestling industry was you worked on the independent circuit for... A while and you 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 worked with a lot of names that weren't really big names at the time but have since become very huge names in the wrestling industry such as now in AEW referee Bryce Rumsberg uh, AEW wrestler Colt Cabana and current or former NXT champion or NXT 
North, North American champion, and I'm, I think tag team champion, Johnny, Johnny Cargano, who's currently a free agent, did you ever think they would become as big as they eventually became? In the right situation, yes. The problem was, back in the day, especially when I was in the independents, it wasn't so easy for independent wrestling darlings to get signed. That didn't happen as much. It happened near the tail end, maybe 2013, 2014. We started seeing more of those. Maybe in and around that time, we started seeing more signings. But very much, I mean it was very difficult at that time to get signed by WWE unless you were an imposing figure, right? If you were large or very muscular or just very imposing, like you, you, you do a double take to somebody. It was, uh, unless you had that sort of appeal to you or that sort of allure, it was difficult to get signed. And there were a lot, of, I mean, AJ Styles is another great example. We booked AJ Styles all the time. Bobby Roode, like we had him for years in the independence. Uh, and TNA was a place where, people like of that ilk could thrive at the time. Uh, and so, and ring of honor as well. Like you, you, you knew that the appetite was there, but WWE wasn't necessarily as interested at that point in time. Uh, than they were later than that, where you saw a mass signing of, of major, major names, you know, the, um, uh, the Sami Zayn's, the Kevin Owens, the, Gargano, Ciampa, et cetera, et cetera, Kyle O'Reilly, the Bollywood boys, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? I know I'm leaving out names, but you, you know yeah. exactly what I mean. So um, at the time, I, I mean, there were a lot of names that um, I worked with in the Ontario Independence that I thought were fantastic wrestlers, and I would love nothing more than to have them on my shows. I mean, I'm very proud of those days. We did a Cross Canada tour where we spanned, I don't know, 10, 11,000 miles, which was incredible um, in, in the span of half a month almost. Uh, we went to the Canadian Arctic several times and did a bunch of charity shows there. I'm probably the most proud of those because we did a lot of community work and I knew that that was very important to do. And I personally took it upon myself to book all of that because I wanted to make sure that we left a positive impact on the community. We went to the, the uh, to all the local community centers, all levels of school. We went to the local juvenile hall, the prison. Like we did a whole, we ran the gamut of, of every possible place that we could do have any sort of positive impact, food shelters, et cetera, because I knew that it was very important. I wanted to do that because I felt like we, there, there wasn't much entertainment or any, any sort of anything like that that would go up to places like that. So it was very important to be as visible as possible, but also make as big of an impact as possible. So I'm the most proud of things like that. But to answer your question, again, I know I'm veering off a lot here, but, uh, but yeah, no, there were a lot of wrestlers that I worked with over the years in the independent level that maybe could have gotten to WWE or, or, or somewhere where they could have made a primary income with pro wrestling a lot sooner had the scenario or the, or the scene been different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like nowadays you could, you can clearly see that you have left sort of a, a footprint in wrestling, whether it be with, AEW's post show with the control center, which they do after their shows, That's or awesome. or with uh, their show three count that they do on Instagram, you can clearly see that you've left a you've left a footprint of yourself in the wrestling industry. Well, that's nice of you to say. I mean, I don't know if I see it the same way necessarily. I'll appreciate. Hey, I'll take the compliment all day. 
as far as I'm concerned, Kyle Edwards belongs in the, in the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, let's be honest. The contributions of Kyle Edwards, especially at WWE, more than warrant a Hall of Fame induction at some point in the future. If not only because eventually WWE is going to run out of people to induct in the Hall of Fame, and I might be the last one in. But listen, it's going to happen at some point in time. But in all seriousness, like, like, look, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I thank you for the compliment. I don't necessarily see it like that only because I think that, like, especially now for announcers, like, it's very different. You can collaborate with WWE. It doesn't have to be your only job. You see a lot of announcers now where they're contributing to multiple places in the industry and not just WWE. And when I say industry, I mean, like, they're doing, I don't know, a, a sports show here and a talk show there and then doing WWE here. Like, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily like that back in the day. WWE was your only gig, and you didn't really do much outside of WWE. Um, and, and, and I was in the tail end of that era, so to speak. And so to make it to WWE was very difficult. Now, I'm not saying it's easier, but what I'm saying is there's a lot more opportunity for collaboration. Like, I've done a couple things for WWE since I left, but I did them under my own name, which I'm very like, which is great. I wasn't upset. By the way, I want to be very clear. I was not upset that my name changed at all. That's another question I get a lot. Like, were you bummed out that, you know, you had to be Kyle Edwards? No, I knew that. Like, that, that was a, a formality in my mind. Like, I already rationalized it in my head. Like, yeah, I, would, would, would I have loved to be Arda O'Cal in WWE? Yes, of course. But I've been that since. I've done things as Arda for WWE. Uh, a couple spots here and there, whatever. And that's fine. But I knew at the time... That's what was called upon. And so I, 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 I came to terms with it in my head, and I was totally fine with it because I wanted to work at WWE, and that was part of the, uh, the gig, and that was part of the agreement or the scenario. So I was like, fine, so be it. I understand. So, uh, but yeah, um, uh, thank you. And uh, honestly, I think that um, I wish well for all announcers that are there, and I know how difficult it can be, and I know that how long and grueling the road is, uh, but for those that are on that path and for those that are chasing their dreams and on the doorstep, just keep going. Because if I firmly believe this, if someone like me can make it, I was, I was likely the improbable signing and I made it. So there is a path for everyone to make it, it might take a lot longer than you would want it to. But if I'm any proof or any indication, hopefully inspiration for anyone out there who's chasing their dreams Keep at it because there is some way somehow. Yeah, especially it, it's getting, I would say it's getting a bit easier to break into at least the bigger wrestling companies because if you can't get in with, you know, WWE, you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling's coming into North America a lot now, and then you have AEW. So you're getting a right. lot more opportunities. Yeah. Which is very good, not only for just for wrestlers, but for announcers people behind the scenes, everybody in the wrestling industry. Yeah. What was your favorite hockey team growing up? Uh, Maple Leafs. So I grew up in Toronto. Um, I, I actually, funny enough, so I was a big NHL 94 guy. So I was big on the Blackhawks for sure. So I, I, I was a Leafs fan growing up, but I loved playing the villain. So I loved being the heel so especially when the Hawks were good, I would troll everyone at school by wearing a Blackhawks jersey. And when I look back on it now, why would I be a Blackhawks fan in Toronto? 
it's because of NHL 94 and how good that team was in NHL 94 because I'm a giant video game fan. And so um, I loved playing as the Blackhawks in NHL 94. But realistically, I was a Leafs fan growing up. I just liked to play the heel and, you know, be a troll. <laughs> um, did you find it hard, uh, you know, did you find it hard to transition from WWE and wrestling into play-by-play for hockey? No, I didn't. And the reason was I actually started doing hockey first. So my first gigs in broadcasting were actually OHL hockey. I did the Brampton Battalion before they moved to North Bay in the Ontario Hockey League. I did that for several seasons. And in that position, it was for Rogers TV, which is a community station in Canada. I did every position imaginable. One game, I'm the uh, studio host. Next game, I'm doing play-by-play. Game after that, I'm doing color commentary. Next game after that, I'm operating the camera. After that, I'm the statistician. I'm interviewing the coaches. That was great experience for me because I literally did every single role you can think of And it was invaluable. So I did that for several seasons. And then I contributed for the Toronto Marlies in the AHL as well as a studio host for fill-in games for several seasons as well before I got to my job at WWE. And actually before WWE, I was a weather uh, reporter in Vancouver for the Weather Network. And that's where I made my jump from uh, weather to WWE. So uh, I, the answer is no, only because I had that experience before I got back into hockey. Yeah, that makes sense. What is your favorite game to call? Oh, there's so many. I mean, I, 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 I have a lot of good hockey memories. I, um, def- the Rangers playoff run in 2017 was a lot of fun because I was out there in this, in, um, on stage with a bunch of the alumni and there were hundreds of people on Broadway Ave and it was just amazing. Like on Broadway, just sitting there, the vibe was fantastic. Uh, also the Devils, the playoff run, they hadn't made the playoffs in a while and uh, Taylor Hall willed that team to the playoffs. It was a lot of fun to be a part of that environment as well. Um, I've been, it, it's been a lot of fun. And honestly, with the NHL back on ESPN here, uh, I am excited for the next several years to come just because I'm really blessed to be a part of this team and to host games here. Um, it, it's been a blast. I mean, I, I am so lucky and I knock on wood that I'm just, just extremely blessed and happy and, 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 and grateful that I'm in this position. Yeah. You cover a lot of esports, notably the NHL Gaming World Championships. Would you say esports is a legitimate sport? I would say that it's definitely legitimate competition. I mean, a lot of people will say, well, how can you call them athletes because they're not really doing anything physical? My response to that is it's a legitimate competition. They are actually playing and competing against each other in a tournament format or in a competitive environment with something on the line. And so to dismiss esports because there's no physicality to it, I think is a little bit uh, naive. I think esports has a lot of upside. I think there are a lot of great personalities in it. I think that there's a lot of interest as well. And the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, you look at the League of Legends World Championship and how incredible those numbers are. And <clears throat> my first esports event was, I think it was 2016 or 2017. I think it was 2016. Madison Square Garden, two, two nights back to back during the week. I think it was a Wednesday and Thursday or something like that. Sold out League of Legends semifinals, World Championships. Um, between four teams that weren't North American teams. It was incredible. 
And I got hooked there because it was just such a great vibe and everybody was having fun and everyone was enjoying themselves and it was interesting to me. And I love video games, so obviously I'm a, I'm a low barrier to entry as it is. But with the NHL Gaming World Championship, I love what's happening there. The scene is growing. We're on to our fifth year now. And I've been involved since the beginning. And it's been one of my favorite gigs just because I enjoy it. I enjoy seeing the competition. I enjoy the different stages across the, um, you know, a European stage, Canadian stage, American stage. Like, there's a lot of intrigue to it. And so... Yeah, no, I'm very, very optimistic about esports as a whole, but also the NHL esports scene. Um, How did you get started, started at ESPN for the NHL? So with, with the NHL, I just made my intentions known. When I heard that there were rumors um, that the NHL might return to ESPN, I just told everyone that would listen that I have this experience and I want to be involved. And that's how it happened. But how I got started at ESPN was actually when I left WWE, I reached out because ESPN was launching a WWE vertical. And so I reached out to their vice president of digital at the time. And I said, maybe I can help contribute here because I just left WWE. And maybe I have some good, um, maybe I can cover the scene or I can write some pieces, et cetera. And that, that's where they asked, do you have any knowledge with esports or would you like to cover esports as well? And so I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And so that's how it got started. Um, with my, my, my time with ESPN. And then eventually I did a combat sports and MMA podcast, and that lasted for a year and a half or so. And then from there, I got signed full-time uh, when I, I had been contributing to many different places. It was digital for soccer and for um, uh, esports and for MMA, different things like that. And then eventually, uh, it led me to doing SportsCenter. It's led me to doing the NHL. And again, like I'm just extremely blessed and thrilled and happy. Um, and do you think uh, that ESPN and TNT are, is helping grow the game in America? I do, yes. Uh, it, 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 two major networks are, better, are, are bigger than one, obviously, just by virtue of the fact that you have two major networks invested in the NHL and promoting games and making major events. I do think that ultimately that will help big more than one network doing it. And I'm not dismissing or diminishing the accomplishments of, of NBC and what they were able to do for the last several years. It's just mathematics, really. And also the interest that you're seeing from ESPN on our side and TNT from their side, like the, the way that hockey is being handled, it feels different. It feels fresh. It feels like, it just feels like things are, 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 are bubbling to the surface and it's all good. And so I'm very excited to be a part of it because it, it's exciting. It's fresh. It's fun. It's, it feels like an, the, the beginning of a new era and we're all just getting started. Yeah. Who's your favorite co-worker to work with right now on ESPN? Oh, I have a lot. I mean, we do a lot of games with, uh, with Torts, obviously, with John Tortorella. Yeah. Um, I love the dynamic between him and Rick DiPietro. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Barry Melrose is, is is exciting and fun to work with. We always have laughs, especially just watching games together in the green room before we go on the air. That's always a lot of fun. Ryan Callahan is great. Kevin Weeks is great. Emily Kaplan is fantastic. Uh, we just have like a really good group of people. We really do. And it, it's just great. Like, I mean, one day I'll sit in the studio with Linda Cohn and Mark Messier and um, other times I'll be doing segments with Ray Ferraro and Brian Boucher uh, and AJ Malesko, who's uh, amazing between the benches and on color commentary. Like we just, I just feel like we have a really, really good group of uh, talented people that work on the NHL on ESPN. 
and uh, it, it, it's a blast. I, I really, really enjoy it. And uh, who's your pick to win the cup this year? And which and what's the team that you think is being underrated right now? <laughs> I was just laughing about this with Greg Wyshynski, actually. So we <laughs> we picked the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup before the start of the season. <laughs> right. And like Wish was like <laughs> Wish is like we cursed them, like ESPN specifically, because me, Greg, uh, Barry Melrose. Uh, and a couple of other people picked the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup. And it's like, we just completely, like, it's just hilarious. Um, if you're asking me today, my, my final was the Islanders and the Avalanche. So the Avalanche part of it is still, I would say, pretty on, on pace. But yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the Panthers, especially if the goaltending uh, remains the same and they're scoring at like an incredible clip right now. But there, there are a lot of threats, especially in the Eastern Conference. So I, I, I'm very excited to see which teams um, shake down. I mean, the playoffs are always a, a gamble. You know what I mean? Like, especially in a series like that, like, the, like people were talking about the demise of the Pittsburgh Penguins coming into this season and goaltending. And now Tristan Jari, who's their goaltender, is literally a, fir- a first ballot all-star. You know, like who would have yeah. s- seen that coming? Who predicted that? before the season began. Not many people did, right? So, I don't know. That, that's what makes hockey amazing, right? Like, oftentimes, you can't really predict what's going to happen and things surprise you. And other times, you have teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning that you wouldn't be surprised if they three-peat the Stanley Cup either. So, I don't know. I'm just overall excited for everything. Right. Um, I mean, with you being a Maple Leafs fan, now, how do you think they're going to shape up in the playoffs? I mean, because they got Tampa Bay, they got Florida in their division. That's a... Pretty, those are two pretty good teams right now. So how do you think they're yeah. going to do? Well, I, the only thing I say to Leafs fans is don't get your hopes up until the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. That's right. really, really what that, – that, that's what it comes down to. Um, yeah. They have a lot of great pieces. They are among the best offensive teams in the league with, like, incredible pieces up front, right? You just look at, I mean, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares – Right, like, and th- that's just four to name, right? And they, they have a lot of great secondary pieces as well. Then you have Jack Campbell, who's playing at an incredible rate right now, and he's facing a lot of high danger shots, and he's saving a lot of them. But even still, when you talk to a lot of Leaf fans, they're not necessarily convinced that this team can make a Stanley Cup final, or is Jack Campbell a Stanley Stanley Cup caliber goaltender? Some people will say yes. Other people will say they're not convinced yet. Uh, this is from my conversations with Leaf fans because I love hearing what they have to say. But that can also come from pessimism, right? I mean, this is a team that has not had playoff success in a very, very long time. And before the last few years, hadn't made the playoffs in a very long time. So I can understand where Leaf fans are coming from. I personally would love to see the Leafs win the Stanley Cup in my lifetime only because obviously that's my hometown. But also I know what it would mean for the city and I know what that parade would look like. <laughs> it would yeah. be millions be upon millions of people. It would probably be one of the biggest parades in sports history. Yeah, like, like I can see, yeah, in the millions, how many people would show up. So Like the Raptors one was insane. When they, oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, exactly. And, yeah, I think that, that's all the questions we have today, Arda. So uh, thanks for coming on and chatting with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to you three for having me, and uh, have a great night. Jake, for fuck's sake. <laughs> what? Do the outro. Oh. <laughs> All right.
Thanks everyone for watching another episode of the Tundra Cast. We'll have a lot more content soon. I hope you guys enjoy.